So Luke chapter 8, if I had to title our talk today, I would title it, Listen Up. Listen Up. Now, when you study the scripture, the Bible throughout the pages is very clear that there's going to be preachers and teachers that use their role for selfish gain. Now, he says in Corinthians, even as Paul was writing, he said, now, there's some out there that have become peddlers of the word of God. The word peddler in that day was talking about these guys who would go down to market and they would take what appeared to be wine, the real stuff, but they had mixed water and diluted it. And so when they would go down and sell it, they would sell it as the foolproof stuff. But what it actually was, was watered down, weakened and diluted. And the reason they would do so is because they could make more money and make more profit on it. Now, what he says is that, heads up, be aware, there's going to be certain guys that use their role as preacher-teacher for the sake of making money. Now, I will make a declaration to you that I do not need a $65 million jet. I'm just saying. (laughs) But there's going to be some that will oftentimes violate the flock for the sake of sordid gain. He also goes on to say... He also goes on to say that there's going to be some that will use their oratory skills and gifts. They're able to verbally fascinate and even assassinate the emotions of others for the sake of seducing women into sexual immorality. And he says, watch out. Now, we've seen so many ministers in our culture, not only in this area, but in the state, nationally, even globally, so many guys get taken out of the game because of inappropriate immorality with a sexual piece. Now, I'm telling you right now, when you get into full-time Christian work, now, this is all a weight and a warning that God places on me as a preacher, teacher, and pastor. But what you will see is when you get into Christian work, there will always be a need to be needed. Somebody is going through something difficult. So emails come, the phone rings, and people want to sit down and talk. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, I've seen a lot of people taken advantage of in the midst of their vulnerability. So he says, watch out. This is a warning to you who preach and teach. It's also interesting in the culture in which we live today, Nick and I have talked about this, Mike, we've talked about it, that we have a way of elevating personalities. And so we live in a day, whether it would be proclamators that stand week after week or those who sing and play or whatever, I call it a Christian rock star kind of industry. Francis Chan even stepped away from his church. Francis Chan was concerned as he wrote Crazy Love and other books, and Francis Chan was speaking across the nation, and he was so applauded that Francis Chan made the statement, and I like what he said. He said, my concern is this. If Jesus had a church down the road, my fear is that our church would be bigger. You would go, 
Now, that that sounds trippy, but what he was saying is there is such a lure to elevate and applaud an individual that you've got to watch out. Now, God warns those who preach and those who teach, listen to me, he says, if you do anything to cause any of these little ones to be led astray, Matthew 18, if you would cause them to take a different path, if you would cause them to stray from me, if you're doing anything that injures and hurts any of my little ones, my kids, these that I've redeemed, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you to be cast into the midst of the sea, which it would be better for you to have a couple of cinder blocks tied around you and you taken to Lake Lanier, handcuffed and thrown overboard. You go, he says that. Yeah, he, he says that. He goes on to say that if you add anything to my words or you take anything away, I will also add to you the plagues that are mentioned in this book. Why? You're standing before a holy God and there is a responsibility if I've given you the anointing to proclaim truth, there is a heavy responsibility, which means don't become extra biblical or unbiblical in what you're saying. I don't need any help with my truth and I don't need anybody taking anything away from it. So he places an incredible responsibility on us. He goes on to say in James, not many of you should become teachers, preachers, pastors, and shepherds, because when you do, there is a bigger bull's eye on your back and you will incur a much stricter judgment. I'm sharing out of the front side, all of the weighty responsibility that God places on us as preachers and teachers. So I feel that weight. I feel that responsibility, and I understand the importance of not negotiating and slaying truth for the sake of creating temporal happiness with other people. Now, we made a resolve years ago, and I drove the stake in the ground that I will preach the Word of God. I will not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power unto salvation To everyone who believes, first starting with the Jew and then the Greek, I will study to show myself approved. I will, God, anchor in what you have to say in this book. And it alters the way we live life. Benji and I were talking last night, and when we were doing sports ministry, there was an individual about 10 years ago that came to us and said, we would love to have you guys closer to the area where most of these athletes and people are involved in Bible study. I will buy your house from you. We're, we're moving. And so this $2.5 million house we have in this gated community, I'll buy your house at whatever the value is. Y'all can pocket it. You can live for five years here just free. I'll take care of everything. But Barb and I looked at each other and it's like, We don't need 15,000 square feet, even though it was an incredible gift. And we don't need to create a message to the people that we're seeking to minister to of look where they live, look what they drive, look what they've got. Because there's so many people that we were ministering to that had affluence, but yet many had poverty. 
And so we didn't want our kids growing up in a gated community where in 15,000 square feet, some would be sleeping in different zip codes. (laughs) Now, is it wrong to have a nice house? No. Is it wrong to have nice cars? No. Is it wrong to wear nice jewelry? No, not necessarily. But you've got to understand the weightiness and the responsibility that God places on us as shepherds. Now, as you preach and teach the word of God, the Bible says that when you teach the word of God, that the Bible is so powerful, grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God will not return void. When the Bible is preached, it's going to soften some hearts, but it's going to harden other hearts. Which, which implies that when the Bible is preached, some are going to move closer to the heart of Jesus, but others are going to move further away from the word of Jesus. The Bible even itself says that for some, when the word is heard, it's an aroma that leads to life. But as Paul would say, for others, it is the stench of death, which means on any given Sunday here, and this has happened repeatedly, on any given Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I can get emails, Mike will get emails, and we will look at these emails, Nick, and some of the emails will be written saying, we love you guys, thank you, you're the best. Which means we also get emails that say, Sunday was terrible, y'all suck, I'm never coming back. (laughs) He just said that. You ought to read the emails we get. How can two people sit in the same room? How can two people sit on the same row? And how can the word for one be the aroma unto life, but the word to the other one be the stench of death. But it happens that way, and we're going to unpackage that in Luke chapter 8. Now, I've just shared with you the weightiness and the warning that God places on us as preachers, teachers, and proclamators of truth. Luke 8, Luke 8, Luke 8 is the warning and weight that he places on you as a listener. Luke 8 is all about the hearer of the word. James would even write, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. So if I had to title this, it would be listen up, listen up, listen up, take heed, because it's about listening and hearing. So it's not just you as a hearer and listener. I fall into both categories. I am a proclaimer, preacher, teacher, strict judgment, but I'm also a follower of Jesus just like you are here. So this is all about how do you hear and how do you respond and what is the condition of your heart? Now, this is the first in a series of parables that Jesus shares in his earthly ministry. Luke 8, right here, first of a series of parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message. 
The word para is the same word for like the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away because I will send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter. The Greek word for the helper is the word para, kletos, which means the one I'm going to send that's going to come alongside you. So when you see the word parable, it is a story that comes alongside of a deeper heavenly truth. Right? This is important to know. So Jesus used parables, and we'll get to that in the text. But he always started with something that they could understand, and then he would move to something they didn't understand. Every parable you read, that, that's what it involves. He shares a story, but there's a deeper punch, a heavenly truth behind it. He starts with something they can see. And moves to something they can't see. He starts with that which is natural, but he's moving to the supernatural. He starts with that which is logical, but he's moving to the spiritual. He starts with that which is simple, but he's moving to that which is profound. That's what he does in every parable. It is an earthly, come-alongside story that's got this deeper heavenly message. Now follow this. Verse 4. When a large crowd was coming together and those from various cities were journeying to him. Jesus spoke by way of a parable. Now, a large group of people is hanging around now. There's been some cool things that Jesus has done and and the word has gotten out, man, you got to come hear this guy. We, We fall into the fallacy of that trap in our culture. Man, if I could just get my brother to listen to this dude, man, hey, 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 brother, if I can just get you to come over and meet with my spouse, I think if they would listen to you, they would get saved. Man, I'm telling you, you've got a way, brother, of going about working with people. Let me tell you what they need. Listen. Man, y'all got to come hear this Jesus dude. He's profound. He's deep. I'm telling you, he feeds people with sack lunches. I mean, we were sipping wine, dude. Blows Boone Farm out of the water. This guy is a miracle worker. Come and hang with me and listen to what he has to say. So all these people come. You got to hear him. And Jesus looks and says, So uh, the sower went out to sow seed. Hold on. We've got a chance to see a revival break loose today, Jesus. The message that you can speak today has got potential to see everybody converted. Come on, lay it on them. Come on, bring the word. This farmer dude, this sower dude went out and started sowing and throwing seed. And as he sowed and throwed some seed, four times he uses this phrase, some fell beside the road and it was trampled under feet and the birds of the air ate it. Cool. No, he gets better. Just listen to him. No, he doesn't. Other seed fell on Rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered because it didn't have any moisture in its root system. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns and the briars grew up and 
choked it out. Other soil, other seed fell into good soil and it produced a crop a hundred times is great. And as he said these things, he looked and said, you got ears to hear? Then hear. That's the sermon. That is all you've got for us today. I mean, you've got probably the biggest crowd ever in front of you. It's Easter Sunday in Loganville. Come on, bring it, brother. And that's what you're going to teach Jesus? Yeah, that's it. Again, based on my study, the more I meditate and ponder the Gospels, it seems that Jesus was a crowd thinner. The bigger the crowd, the tougher the teaching, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and many left him. Read in Scripture how many left him versus how many followed him. That's all you've got? Yeah. Sower went out to throw seed. Some fell on a hard path and birds ate it. And some fell on a rocky soil and there was no moisture in rocks so it wouldn't grow. Yeah, we understand that. Some fell amongst the thorns. It got choked out. I'm out there the other day. We're cutting grass and weed eating and doing that. And I'm like, who planted the briars next to the azaleas? <laughs> you ain't got to plant weeds. You know that? There's so much time we spend digging up weeds. I'm like, how did that get there? We planted one rose of Sharon, and now we've got four different ones. I'm like, where did all them come from? I mean, I thought the one looked cute, but four? And, and, and what's next to it gets choked out and it don't even grow? And then even the disciples in the next verse who have hung out with Jesus and been a part of some of his coaching and teaching and miracle working, they looked at him scratching their heads going, what in the world are you talking about? We don't even have a clue of what you just said. Now, we're not going to leave you, but that's what the text says. His disciples began questioning him. What are you talking about? And then he looks at the disciples and says, to you, to you, it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To a disciple who has said yes, who has repented, rejected the world, and who is following in the dust of the rabbi, he said, it's been granted to you to know what I'm talking about. But a lot of other people in the crowd show up, and I'm just exposing motives, basically. I'm thinning the crowd. Listen to what he goes on to say. But to the rest, it's spoken in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So what you are saying is what you just said, you really didn't want the majority of them to get it anyway. I I didn't say I didn't want the majority not to get it. I just told you the majority of them really didn't want to know me. They like the tricks and the treats and the miracles and they like some of the cool stuff I'm like breaking down. 
But when it comes to really knowing me and following me and trusting me and submitting to me, they, they, they don't want that. What, what are you saying? I'm saying that every time the word of God is preached, it's going to harden some hearts and soften some hearts. It's going to be a stench to some and a fragrant aroma to others. That's just the way it's going to be. So emails will continue to flood. And some of y'all will correct me saying you could have used the word stink instead of the word suck. And I'm like, I I, I know I could have used that, but I'm just telling you what I've read. Y'all will correct me. But it's Father's Day, and you'll probably give me at least one day before you blow me up with that terminology. I mean, seriously, don't you hear it? Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and a sower went out to sow. Don't miss this. A sower went out to sow. Who's the sower? In this case, it's Jesus Christ himself. Sores on Sunday would be me, Mike, Trevor, who's ever preaching the word. What is the seed? It's the word of God. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the seed never changes. Now, people will say this. Hey, man, I've been praying for you. Praying that when you open your mouth, man, that the anointing of God would fall Man, I've been praying that every word you speak today, brother, would be so powerful. Well, based on this text, it says we ought to be praying for the hearer and not the proclaimer because all I'm sharing is the word of God. And if we're not careful, a lot of us do not engage in the game because we think it's about the sower. Brother, I'm going down to the mission, man. I got 75 homeless dudes, man. Be praying for me. For what? Just throw and sow seed. What's going to happen? Some's going to fall, and some's going to fall, and some's going to fall, and some's going to fall. Who's in charge of seeing the response? I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. You are. How? By the Holy Spirit softening your heart, this whole parable is about the condition of the soil, not the sower and not the seed. Well, brother, when I get a, more con- uh, a few more seminary classes in me and when I go to about eight more Bible studies and when I memorize about 20 more verses, then I'll go out. So it's still about you. It's still about elevating the sower. It's all about the soil. It's about you being receptive and responsive to what the Holy Spirit's saying. It's amazing. Some of you came in here today mad, upset, frustrated, whatever. And so the drums weren't right. Nick hit a couple of notes off key. The vocals weren't exactly what you wanted them to be. You're sitting there right now going, this brother, man, I I, I can take him or leave him. And so you're going to have zero encounter experience with God. Others came in here. We could have been playing a banjo, banging on a trash can, and it would have sounded like heaven's noise because you wanted to hear from God. I'm telling the truth, though. We jack it up. 
man, I'm going down to this church today because let me tell you who's coming in to speak there. It doesn't matter if the soil of your heart is not ready to hear from God. Amos was a back roads country redneck preacher in the Old Testament, and he saw God use him when he went out because the soil of the people's hearts were wanting to hear from God. Jonah's picked at the world. I don't want to go over to Nineveh. Then go. I don't even want to talk to him. And he threw seed. The entire city repents because of how good the sower was. He just threw seed in the soil. (laughs) So four scenarios. Verse 12, those beside the road are those who have heard. The devil comes, takes away the word from their heart. So that they will not believe and be saved. People can sit in here week after week after week. They hear it. But they still allow the devil and the things of this world to come in and just bam, bam, bam. It's hard. It's calloused. I don't want to do right. I don't want to know right. I'm not going to do it. That's not for me. Whatever, brother pastor, I'll just sit here to appease my spouse or my parents or whoever. And when that happens, it says they will not believe and be saved. You're not going to be saved with a hard, calloused heart. When I was 13, I didn't grow up in a church, but when I was 13, within a six-week window of time, two interesting things happened. The dude back in Noonan at that time that owned this fitness club Shared with me, if you were to stand before God today, and I should say, why would I let you into my kingdom? What would you tell God? I ain't got a clue. Do you have a Bible? No. Have you ever read the Bible? No. No. Within that six-week window, my uncle, family member, shows me penthouse and playboy, whatever. So I'm a 13-year-old guy just starting to go through puberty, no spiritual background foundation or anything, so I've been introduced to two different things. I remember going to church and hearing, if you love God and going to follow Jesus, sell, sell out, dude. Get rid of all your music, cut your hair off, no hair, all this stuff. And I'm like, and then there was this voice crying over here. Remember what you saw. Remember the literature. The seed, I believe, because there were some of those that I looked at back then, like Deborah Thompson and Tim Tidwell and some of those, man, they had the joy of the Lord in their life. But the seed just got, seed just got taken away, taken away, taken away. And guess what? As a 13-year-old guy, it never took root. I go to college, I'm at Troy, I'm like, man, I need to get my life right. I go to a Bible study, FCA, Campus Crusade, whatever. What was the sower's name? Don't know. Know what the seed was. Sit there and listen to it. Hey, dude, now let me tell you what God wants to do. Now, you know we got this cake party going on, and these two sororities are coming over, and we got this going on. Bird's just taking a seat right out. I continued to make willful choices of rebellion to say, I want fun. 
hangovers. Advil in the morning, that's fun. Anybody else ever lived there where you heard the word and all of a sudden, the enemy, you just let the enemy just take it right off the path. It's like, I'm hard, man. I don't want to change yet. And I think that's what he's talking about there. Now, let me say this to you as well. I think it's possible as a believer and a person who really wants to honor God to start hanging around negative, critical people and have the seed of the word trampled underfoot. I was really saved in October of 1985. I go to this Bible conference at the end of January in 1986, three months later. And so I had a brother challenge me. He goes, man, you know what you ought to do? You ought to fast and pray, man, and just really seek God. And I go, what does fasting mean? I don't know what it means. He started telling me. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to unplug, get rid of the TV, food. Man, I'll just do uh, juice and water, 36 hours. Yeah, I want that. And he says, so when you go to that Bible conference, man, just sit there. You don't need food, all this. Just be praying, seeking God. Ask the Lord to speak to you. I'm three months, man. I'm a brand new believer. I go there and it was a Baptist kind of fraternity of things, but they had people like Adrian Rogers, who was one of the best preachers. Man, I love listening to Adrian even now. They had Dr. D. James Kennedy, who was pastoring down in Fort Lauderdale. I'm like, this guy's good. They had others. They had a group by the name of New Song and a girl by the name of Babby Mason. And I'd never heard like Christian gospel, Christ-centered stuff. And I'm just, oh man, this is so good. And God was just feeding me and the seeds were falling. Well, we get in the car to drive back and one of the guys in our car, I'll never forget, man, we get just off the, uh, the church grounds and about to jump on the interstate to head back to Noonan from Marietta. And I was like, man, that was so good. He goes, yeah, it was all right. I said, what do you mean it was all right? Well, I think our choir at our church is better than theirs. <laughs> do what? <laughs> do What? That was new song, dude. I don't even know who they are, but they really sounded good. And I'm driving down the road and I'm like, how does he not get it? You sat there for the same amount of time I did and your takeaway was, who's better? Jesus is the only one I went up there to hang out with. Whatever donkey was giving divinity a ride didn't matter. I just wanted to hear from the Lord. And do you realize that if you hang around negative, critical people, that even at times when the word is thrown and sown, that the enemy wants to use some of these negative, stinking, thinking people to trample it underfoot? And I'm telling you right now, man, I see people, they just get locked up. And I remember looking going, I dude totally missed it. I'm three, I'm three months into the faith, and I'm like, I don't know what's been happening. He's been in church for a long time, but he totally missed it. He's got a complaining spirit. Scenario number two. Those on the rocky soil. It's those who, when they hear it, they receive it with joy. But since they have no firm root, they believe for a while and they fall away in time of temptation. Now, temptation. Let me play on a couple words here. They fall away when the pressure of temptation is brought their way. Now, temptation is when you're being enticed to gratify self. 
Temptation is when the enemy is trying to entice you to gratify self or pleasure. But what he's asking you to do is renounce the principles that you claim you have for the sake of the enjoyment and pleasure in the moment. So temptation is an interesting word, right? Look at how you could gratify your flesh right now. Look at how you could satisfy you. Now, in order to do it, you're going to have to negotiate and renounce some of your principles. But man, look at the pleasure you could have. Can I tell you the kissing cousin, and Mike and Nick and I got into this this week on this word study, is the word persecution. You know what persecution is? It's an invitation to protect yourself by renouncing the principles to avoid pain and punishment. What are you doing in both? You're renouncing the principles of God. One, you renounce them for the sake of pleasure. The other, you renounce for the sake of trying to avoid pain. What are you saying? It's still all about you when you cut it open. So he says some are going to fall away with this temptation piece. Here, This is not popular, but just listen. Listen to this. The Bible Belt of the South is a very, very interesting culture. I believe so many in the Bible Belt and the churches of the South fall into soil number two. Somewhere along your path, you went to church. Maybe your parents took you, your grandparents, whatever. When you were about 10 years old, somebody looked at you and said, don't you want to go to heaven like your mom and dad when you die? And you said yes. So they gave you a prayer to pray and you prayed it. They told you that you needed to walk an aisle and get baptized. And so all of a sudden they told you that you need to go to church and be a part of Sunday school because we'll give you a pen if you miss, if you don't miss over two Sundays all year. And so, so many people start to form and be conformed to this cultural Christianity. But the thing is, when you look at their life, There is not any radical indication that Jesus Christ is Lord and Master and Ruler. So we hang out in the church environments. We hang out in the Christianese cultures. And all of a sudden, we can talk the talk, but we can't walk any walk. And what ends up happening with so many people is they look at their lives And they don't have any spiritual growth. They have no spiritual disciplines. They have no maturation going on whatsoever. And they look and they go, what happened? What happened was this. Listen, the seed seed fell, but the soil was rocky. You didn't get discipled. You didn't get in a small group. You didn't have mentors. You didn't have... I mean, Steve begs for people to meet with him in discipleship up there. Chad and Elaine, you beg. I want people to show up to help them. And they come two or three times and then they don't. Why? Because the soil is rocky. And all of a sudden you look and you're like, what happened? I heard it. I received it with joy. But man, I wanted to gratify myself and wanted to live on pleasure island and he goes watch it the sower went out the sow seed where is your heart what is the condition of your soil scenario three the seed fell among thorns 
These are the ones who have heard it, but as they go on their way, it gets choked out with the worries, riches, pleasures, and bring forth no fruit. What causes people to throw the towel in? I'm going through all this affliction. You're just getting exposed. It's okay. What you really believe is being exposed right now. He says the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. Do you know this right here is so huge in the church? Man, I love Jesus, but I live on Pleasure Island. I've acquired all this stuff, and now I'm, I'm strapped. I mean, I would ask myself the question, what allows me to stay in a position where I'm freed up, where I can reach people and teach people and train people and see people sent out with the gospel? It's okay to have stuff, but it's not okay for stuff to have you. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And when you get so called up into your traps, you're going, what happened? The cares of this world. Some people have left here because of affliction. And all of that happens as you get exposed. Well, things got a little tough and I got a little upset. You know, I didn't like that. I just didn't like our children's many. I don't like the way Sammy and Jenny and Jennifer, I don't like the way they're doing it over there. I've got a sign on the back at the Connect Center that says, before you complain, have you volunteered? I mean, if you don't like the way the grass is cut and you haven't cranked a lot more in five years, let me give you a great Hebrew statement. Shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. Where y'all at? There's just some people there, man, that ain't walking with Jesus. Well, who's going to help them walk with Jesus? I mean, who's going to help them? Who's going to come alongside? All of a sudden, this third soil to me is where Jesus is calling us to deeper obedience. And the Lord is really saying, based on that Luke 9, it's time to count the cross, uh, count the cost. It's time to take up your cross daily. It's time to deny yourself. It's time to drill deep. It's time to go all in. And you go, no. I wrote this in my notes. People trade intimacy with Jesus for some of the stupidest stuff. You think about it. People will trade intimacy with a God, the God that made them, the God that redeemed them with his blood, the God that desires to give you the thrill of your life for stupid stuff. No, I'd rather get high. Why? High on what? There is not a high on this planet that competes to walking in the spirit, man, and being with the king. Oh, there's not. Jesus looks at this one dude in scripture. He's called the rich young ruler, which based on what you read, if you would have read 40 years later, he would be called the rich old ruler. Now, I've kept all this stuff, Jesus. I think I've got it. Go sell everything you got. That, that's really where your love is now. You, you love your stuff. Now go sell it all. Come follow me. Some people would look going, that price was too high. 
I mean, again, Jesus, man, if you really want to influence people, you could have told him to sell his boat, but not his Winnebago. Come on. Let him keep his boat, man. It's June, dude. It's a bad time, man. Lake, a lot of fun stuff going on. Jesus said, if you really want to hang with me, sell everything you got and come follow me. He walks away because of the deceitfulness of riches. But then he goes down to a pier and he sees these old good old boys, Peter and all them guys who are redneck fishermen dudes. And he's like, come follow me. And they go, you got it. Yes. You believe in me. You believe I've got what it takes to be one of your disciples at Talmud. I get to walk in the dust of a rabbi later realizing the rabbi was God. They went on camping trips and hiking trips and Fishing trips and wine-making trips and all kinds of trips. Three years later when he's crucified, who got the good deal? They got to hear God preach every sermon he ever preached, front row seats. They got to hang out with God backstage where he would explain to them some things they didn't see. They got to hang out with God. I'd rather hang out with God than have a boat. I would like to have a boat. But anyway, <laughs> but back to the, the contrast. Sell it all and come follow me. I will later. And I think that one right there is where so many people, they get choked out. That's what he says. It chokes you out. I mean, dudes will do this. I don't care how old you are. I mean, Benji will do this. Jesse, I'll do it to him. We, we just do it. But I'll come up behind and grab you in the headlock and go, what's up? I hate to be choked. <laughs> Especially with this movement I've got going on with my neck. But a dude who tightens up that bicep who's actually got one, Michael Dean, I don't mind if you do this to me, but a guy that's got a bicep <laughs> that throws you in a headlock. Do y'all like that? But why do we allow ourselves to spiritually get choked? Because he says the worries. And the word worry there means to get knotted up. What are you worrying about? Let it go. The deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. And then he says this. Listen. What is the condition of your soil? I'm telling you right now. I can watch the Flintstones, and if I'm in the spirit, God can give me inspiration and revelation. But if my heart is hard, I can listen to Billy Graham and not get anything out of it. Right? I can get inspired watching Billy Madison. Seriously? (laughs) A couple redneck boys on the back go, are you serious, dude? I ain't never got a word from God on that one. But no, what I'm saying is it's the condition of the heart. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. Honest and good heart. They hold it fast. They bear fruit with perseverance. What what is the word there? An honest and a good heart is this. You stop playing games and you quit justifying and rationalizing what's going on in your life. When the Holy Spirit speaks 
And, and I'm telling you, it can be a song you're listening to going down the road. It can be a podcast message. It can be Sunday morning. It can be you at 530 in the morning meditating on the word of God. But when God speaks, you go, that convicts me. I'm not going to rationalize and justify my behavior any longer. Man, God is convicting me. I'm sinning in that area. That is an area where I could really fall away and stray from God. And you stop and you go, Lord, I want to be all in. I want to be your servant, your child. I want to hear from you. But I've got some stuff in my life that's blocking our connection. And you know what you do? You repent and you seek out accountability. You seek out fellowship. You seek out others who can walk with you. That's what he's saying, an honest heart. He says, then you hold fast to it. Hold fast means I get on this path where I'm seeing continued spiritual growth and transformation. I'm on this path now where I'm holding fast to it, meaning day in and day out, I'm submitted, I'm surrendered, and I'm seeing God start to grow me up. There's spiritual disciplines. There's a hunger for the things of God. I mean, the word, worship, and all this stuff is happening, and all of a sudden, they're like, what's happening with him? And he says, that soil... It'll produce up to a hundred times. Well, when you study the agriculture of that day, soil that produced about 7.5 times was average. Soil that produced 10 times would be like, that's good soil. And Jesus is saying, when your heart is right before him and you allow the seed of his word to germinate and take root, he goes, hundred times, man. Which means I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you can ask or think according to my power that now works within you. It's me. But your heart is prepared to receive it. So the question has to be asked, what soil best represents or communicates my heart? Am I just being trampled under day after day? Well, ask the Lord, soften my heart, please shatter it, crush it. Am I over here on this rocky ground? Man, I like it on Sunday, but by the time I get to Monday, man, I'm raising hell, cussing like a fool, like the rest of them at work. And I've had people tell me that. Man, on Sunday, I don't know what it is, dude. My language is clean by the time I get there on Monday. Because you're rocky. And then some, it's the third soil where it's like the cares of the world and the deceitfulness and all this stuff of worry. It's just choking it. And God goes, I can't work in you right now. Now, once the soil gets right, then you'll go, look at what God is doing. Now, who's a candidate today to be used by God? All of us. What does it require? It requires the soil of my heart getting right before the king so that the seed can take root and start to manifest itself. Who does God want to do that in? Every one of you. And if that happens, if that happens, we're going to three services and we're going to four services and we're going to five services. You know why? You know why? Because I look at it and I'm like, all right, if I'm really locked in and I'm producing fruit, I'm probably going to see one person every six months come to know the Lord. Which means I then get a chance to infiltrate and hang with that family. 
which means every, every year, even if it's two families a year. Now, if 400 people sitting here experience the same thing, I ain't saying you got to reach one every day, every week. But even if there's fruit, you'd go to a year. Well, all of a sudden, that 700 becomes 2,100. Oh, to a year. All of a sudden, man, what happened? How did that church explode? They got the soil of their heart right so that they could receive the seed of God's word. And they quit worrying and playing all these games of justifying, and they got right. Is that, is that the way it happens? Is it complicated? So I'm just the sower. The word is the seed. But the soil of your heart is going to determine how you grow and how you move in the future. Thank you, Lord, for letting us hang out in here today. 